If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Next game is going to be full of deception, deception and, and intrigue. intrigue. What was that? A robot? The <laughs> doppelganger. Fuck off. Your next game is going to be full of deception and intrigue, and here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to what might make a doppelganger, doppelganger. fall absolutely. It's very distracting. Am I, very... In, am I getting in your head? Am I making you question your reality? No. I just want to hit you. What might make a doppelganger fall absolutely flat in a game? What would one want or how would they be role-played? And how would the world be affected by the inclusion of doppelgangers? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Travis. (laughs) Okay, let's go back to your (laughs) doppelganger impression, by the way. Why would a monotonous robotic doppelganger be at all convincing? Just getting his sea legs. Oh, I see. He's just getting used to becoming me? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they got to start somewhere. Uh, I'm his brother, Jordan. Thanks for tuning in. We want to make your game better. We want to help you create a richer, deeper world, whether you're a player or you're a DM. Or you're a storyteller of some kind, which if we're sitting down at the table, we're all storytellers. So what kind of challenges come to you in your game? Let us know. But thanks for listening to this episode. So we're going to dive into some doppelganger crazy shit if you haven't already figured that out (laughs) by Jordan's impression of doppelganger. And if for some reason you're not familiar with the term doppelganger, it's one of the monsters in Dungeons and Dragons, and it's a shapeshifter. It takes humanoid forms, and that idea goes back so far in history and lore, and it's just like... such a gnarly idea. It's a simple, gnarly idea that we all have some connection with for some reason. Well, I think because we all have a psychological, a deep-seated psychological terror around our own identity. Hmm. And imagine, I mean, I don't think anybody isn't unsettled by the idea of a duplicate of them walking around. Yeah, that's like, the setup for horror. That's It's a terrifying idea. It's supposed to be a bad omen. Right. In some of the legends, if you see a duplicate of yourself, it means something bad is going to happen to you. Ugh. So... Unfortunately, as we were planning this episode, today I saw somebody that was bald and had a beard and looked suspiciously like me. And I had that that feeling deep in my gut for a split second until I drove closer. And? And I realized that they didn't really look anything like me. <laughs> that, <laughs> that story was so anticlimactic. <laughs> yeah, that's a good finish, eh? <laughs> really had some serious payoff at the end there. So I'm not too worried about bad omens. Well, Good people news. have always said that we didn't look much alike. You know, when you started saying bald with a beard, I thought you were talking about me for a moment. 
And I think, yeah, as as you grew out your beard and started shaving your head, now we really are starting to look alike. Yep, the uh, family genetics are catching up. I think <laughs> when we're 80, we'll just be the same old raisin. <laughs> yeah. Well, like a doppelganger, I'm kind of your ghostly gaunt mirror image. So <laughs> just a soulless... A soulless husk that walks around and talks like you. Going back to a different legend, if uh, there's a good and an evil version, I think we all know who's the good one and who's the evil one. Definitely the good one. Yeah, right. You just said you're the <laughs> gaunt. Fine. <laughs> Fine. I'm definitely the evil one. In folklore, doppelgangers are referred to as the twin stranger, though the name literally translates to double walker. From German, right? Yeah. And personally, I love the concept of doppelgangers. There are so many tremendous films that if you need any inspiration revolving around the concept, like if you wanted to go the horror bent, you've got Jordan Peele's Us. Yeah. Another favorite is, you know, the original monster feature, the gross out horror of John Carpenter's The Thing. Which I still haven't seen. Gonna have to check that one out. Get on it. And I don't think that you can really get away from the kind of horror bent with doppelgangers because, like I said, there's that like deep-seated psychological fear yeah. that doppelgangers surround. Like other films, which are definitely less horror, but still a lot of kind of mindfuckery going on there. There's always some psychological aspect of these stories. Totally. These are some of my all-time favorite films. Uh, Christopher Nolan's The Prestige. Like, that's in my top five, easily. Richard Iowati's The Double. Um, yeah. Richard that... Iowati from The IT Crowd. Pretty twisty film. Yeah. He directed Jesse Eisenberg in a story about a man who has another identical duplicate of him uh, start at his same job, and, and he's, like, better and better not better looking because he's identical <laughs> but he's smarter more charismatic yeah all of these things and and just how that messes with your sense of identity and nobody else knows that it's a duplicate yeah nobody really acknowledges it so it's it's really psychologically <laughs> messed up um and then very in a very similar vein based on the same novel as enemy with jake gyllenhaal um you know that was just a tremendous film like all of these films if you're planning on using a doppelganger in your game, you have to watch <laughs> one of these films. Just do me a favor and go out and do this. Stop whatever you're planning to do for the next 15 hours and get watching movies. You've got seven films on your list. Well, the doppelganger has been around since first edition of D&D. It's like an original enemy. Well, it's a classic monster. Again, the core concept is so relatable. But switching over to talking about D&D &D a little bit, the core of the creature is that it can use its action to polymorph into a small or medium humanoid it's seen or back into its true form. As an action. They can just like in, out, in, out every six seconds. Snappity-pappity makes a <laughs> popping sound. It's got a pretty decent hit point pool. Like it can... It can take a beating. You could stab that one in the heart once or twice. It has a double attack, so it can also give a licking. Now, does it attack with, like, fisticuffs? Basically. It's got a slam attack. Sure. It'll smack you around. You could throw a weapon in that hand. The real challenge, though, including a doppelganger in your game, has a lot of implications. And if it's not done right, 
it can be incredibly challenging and have long-lasting impacts on the rest of your game. Because doppelgangers are a mystery. That's the whole point. Kind of a scary mystery, but with a mystery, you build up to the reveal. Mm-hmm. And the reveal is the easy part, but if you don't take the right steps beforehand, then it's either a lackluster reveal or it changes the world in a weird way or... Well, and very similar to our horror episode, I mean, there's a, if you want that payoff, there is a lot of work that has to be done in the buildup. Yeah. And the hints that can be dropped. And with doppelgangers, DMs have to be incredibly careful because you have to give good hints. If you are the one that does the reveal, oh, and this person was a doppelganger the whole time. If they had no way of knowing that and you just spring that on them, then all of a sudden everyone they ever meet is going to have the potential to be a doppelganger. Well, there's that too. Like that's a whole nother thing to explore. <laughs> it's just like now all of a sudden every NPC your group comes across is like, show us your true form. And it's like, easy, easy. I'm literally just a traveling merchant. I'm a child trying to buy some candy. <laughs> and you've got a dagger up to their throat like, Give me the real goods. Tell me who you are. <laughs> and then, like you said, they're going to mistrust everyone. But beyond that, you know, if you go back to that whole reveal, you're you have to give the players the opportunity to suss out the hints and piece it together. Because if you just dole that up on a silver platter, it's not going to land. It's not going to feel fun. The players don't feel empowered. But on the flip side of that, Players like myself are notorious for missing very important <laughs> clues every step of the way. Oh, so what's the answer? Uh, well, I don't know. We should <laughs> probably find out in the Strategy Stateroom. This is the Strategy Stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. So we're going to dive in deep to doppelgangers, but before we do, there's a very important piece to this. What we're going to talk about is the kind of role-playing aspect of doppelgangers. However, doppelgangers are tricky to play in combat too, because there's a lot of emphasis on how they would behave and what their motivations are, as opposed to say like a rust monster, uh, just a mindless bug that's going to go after your weapons. This is a thinking, very rational, very devious, like their whole world is impersonation. So their methods and their desires are going to be very different. And so friend of the show, Keith Amon, has an incredible blog. If you didn't hear it on a previous episode, it's called The Monsters Know What They're Doing. And I would say that this episode's kind of a companion piece to the tremendous article that Keith wrote, but Keith primarily focuses on the in-combat stuff. So if you haven't read that, go and check it out. The monsters know what they're doing. Just search for Doppelganger. And our opinion is that doppelgangers serve a rich, deep opportunity for role-playing, and they don't really want to get into that combat. When they do, Keith provides the, the tools to give you a good fight. And Keith even calls that out in that 
you know, their prerogative is not to fight. Their prerogative is to run away and assume another role, like a spy whose cover has been blown. There's no reason to stick around and fight it out. Yeah, they want to survive. They want to survive. So just go. Your cover is blown. Abandon it. Pick up a new one. And that's how life is easy for a doppelganger. So in order to build up a good doppelganger in our games, we got to understand what they are and what they look like, what they're going to behave like. Primarily to act as a counterpoint to what they become so that players can figure out what they are and avoid all of the initial problems that using a doppelganger presents. Because as you and I were discussing, if you were to try to use a doppelganger like you use any monster in the monster manual, you just kind of like plop it down on the table and be like, ah, it's a doppelganger. (laughs) It's like, well, that's not fun. That's going to fall real flat. Taking away the core ability? (laughs) Pretty well. (laughs) I mean, but even that is like, ah, here's a merchant and they've tricked you. Turns out they're a doppelganger. It's like, okay. (laughs) Or there was a longtime NPC that just ends up revealing themselves to be a doppelganger, but there was no evidence or hints that that was the case. So all of this to say that we kind of got to break down doppelgangers into who they are and what they would do in order to really build from that. So what do they really like look like? What would when you picture a doppelganger in its base form, not as it's impersonating somebody, but what does it actually look like? In fifth edition, they're portrayed as like a thin, gaunt, gray, kind of that like slender, sinewy. Yeah, sinewy. That's a good word for it. But I think you can go a little deeper than that to create that eerie image of a creature that has no original form and that takes on other shapes. So there's no distinguishing feature of a doppelganger, I don't think. It doesn't have eyes that are watching you. It doesn't have a mouth or nose or distinct ears. It's just like maybe it's even shifting a little bit. Mm, Interesting. If you were looking at a true doppelganger, you would feel like it's observing you, but you wouldn't be able to see that it's observing you. Yeah, that kind of like somebody's watching you kind of sense that you get, like the prickly on the back of your neck, you know, your arm hair kind of stands up. Yeah. And yeah, I like that. The whole formless part, especially when it's shifting, if you've got a creature that can go from a medium to a small creature, there's some bones cracking in there. There's there's some messed up stuff physiologically that's happening to a creature that's doing that because it's not an image. It's not an illusion where just like with any kind of illusion spells, if you were to touch through it, it is in fact an illusion. You're going to feel the real thing underneath. True. But when a doppelganger changes shape, It's literally changing all of its features and its muscle structure and its cheekbones and all of that is shifting. And that is gross. (laughs) Like that's deeply (laughs) upsetting. That's true. I think you could take it in two directions, though. With that transformation, it can be very like visceral and real like that. You could also take it in a direction of the viewer almost being confused by it in the sense that maybe as it's shifting human senses aren't really perceiving it. So it's just confusing you as you're watching it. And it's creating like strange sensations and sounds and and really getting into that like cosmic side of it. Interesting. 
Where it's like you don't even know what you're looking at as it's shifting until it's in its true form. Like your brain can't comprehend what it's watching. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I think its true form would also be colorless. It's portrayed as gray in Dungeons and Dragons. But again, going into that, the senses of the perceiver thing, it doesn't have a perceivable color. It's not gray. It's the lack of color. Yeah. Like it's just, there was nothing that you can describe it. You don't have any cones in your eyes <laughs> that have the ability to perceive this color. It's like trying to see UV light or something. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing there to see. And that that probably messes with your head a little bit too. Yeah. So doppelgangers are described as typically solo. They're supposedly kind of lone wanderers. They don't really stick in groups. They don't have social circles. They're very independent kind of creatures, right? But what would a solo creature have as a goal? Like doppelgangers are kind of set up as ultimate assassins. And that's kind of cool, but it's also kind of tropey. That's where their skill set lies. And, sure. And tropes can be cool. There's nothing wrong with going down those avenues and seeing what your players do with it. Not at all. But I think it's kind of easy to just go, oh, this is a doppelganger. It's an assassin. It's evil. Right. If you're playing in very good versus evil campaigns. And that's fine and dandy and all. But for me, at least, this doesn't really have the depth that I want if I'm going to use a creature like a doppelganger. Yeah. Because again, if I'm just going good versus evil, if I'm just going hack and slash, if I'm going uh, pretty well straight down the middle, I might as well just grab any other monster out of the monster manual. With more interesting stats. The doppelganger <laughs> is interesting because of this one ability that it can take on the persona of anybody that it wants. And so in that, I think there's a lot of middle ground. And... You have to start to consider, like, what would you do if you could look like anyone? I think it all depends on your moral standing to begin with. That's what I'm talking about. There's a million gray areas. Yeah. It's not just purely good or purely evil. You could rob a bank one day. Well, you could infiltrate evil groups. Like, there's a lot of different kind of gray areas. And I think that's where these kind of stories play really well. For me, if I had the ability, I wouldn't want riches or fame because those people are under a lot of scrutiny. If I could shift into someone else's face and body, I wouldn't necessarily carry over the same personality. So really famous people or like impersonating the king, that's going to carry a lot of scrutiny with it. And I'm more than likely going to be found out. Yeah. If I become a somebody, I might not necessarily want to be somebody of any fame or notoriety or money or wealth that I'm actually after to come with that. I'd want to be like fame adjacent, like just to the left of left of fame. I want to be somebody that orbits in those circles, but never comes under the same kind of scrutiny because they're just kind of throwaway people. And again, if you're evil, you're doing the classic doppelganger thing of insidiously taking over that person's life and killing them. But if you're good, you could easily wait for somebody in a town to pass away and then take their place. Yeah. And in a world where doppelgangers, like your natural form of gray and colorless and gaunt and a pupilless, and you're terrifying. 
maybe at that point, you would really just want a normal life. A normal life that a normal person who tends their beet farm, <laughs> the, the shrewd beet farm, uh, would want to just like chill out and be like, ah, I'm normal. I'm going to take this over. So like you say, just wait for somebody to pass away and then assume their form. That's the very like human mindset applied to this strange creature. And there's so much potential with that. I think there's two sides of it. You could go that route or you could go the alien mind route where it's hard to discern their motivations. They're collecting human power and human influence for some unknown reason. Yeah, I mean, the possibilities are endless. I personally just really love that middle moral gray area because I imagine a party coming across, you know, hearing about so-and-so that's under a lot of... Everyone in the town is suspicious of this person because, my goodness, they've been alive for a hundred years and they should have (laughs) passed away a long time ago, but they're still not. And now everyone's getting really suspicious. And, of course, your party is always going to go, well, there must be an evil wizard or a lich or a this or a that, and they're going to go and they stab the thing uh, or they, they always attempt to. And then you get to explore all of these like, well, no, this person's really not doing any harm. It's just our natural inclinations to be suspicious and othering is at play here. So there's a lot of really cool moral things that you can explore with this. Absolutely. You could even dive into the aftermath of, you know, a doppelganger in a situation like that is maybe doing something good without telling anybody about it. If they're taken out of the picture, maybe that's when the other doppelgangers that they've been convincing to stay out of this town finally move in. Yeah. Maybe they were the good one. (laughs) I mean, if I were a doppelganger, I'd want to have two or three identities, like backup ones. (laughs) Just to explore that other side of yourself, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think more is just like, it's an inevitability. When you're a long-lived creature and you're inhabiting creatures with shorter lifespans or... The thing is, is that doppelgangers don't adopt all of the memories and the thoughts of these people. They can, of course, read surface thoughts and they can understand kind of like that surface level. Oh, what are they doing? What are they thinking? You know, those just those surface level things. But they don't adopt all of the mannerisms. So it's really quick and easy to give yourself away. So I'd want a couple of backups. True. Doppelgangers have to be good actors. But maybe with those backups, I I think you're causing me to think if I was a beet farmer that could change (laughs) their appearance at will, I'd have a whole family. I'd just keep making new family members every time I wanted to try something new. (laughs) There's only one ever outside the house. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Only one that goes into town at a time. (laughs) You've made the whole Simpsons crew. You've made a mischievous little taught, you know, a mischievous 10 year old and a brainy intellectual, and you can just play in that space. You can be every one of the Simpsons. (laughs) Yeah, whatever I want to get up to that day. Well, (laughs) from that, like, how would you go about taking over? Because again, if you can't just immediately adopt somebody's thoughts and feelings and memories, you can't just become that person overnight. You have to sidle up to it. You have to warm into it or pick people that, nobody's really paying attention to or is super close to in order to recognize that maybe that's not the same person. Yeah. So how would you go about doing that? 
I mean, if you're talking about a doppelganger in its true form gaining its first personality, because once you got one, you can become friends with more and work your way in. Yeah. But the very first one, that's going to be some horror action because all you can do is just sneak up on some lonely person. That's going to be creepy because the person's just going to see this doppelganger once in a while out of the corner of their eye. The doppelganger is trying to get close enough to read their mind enough that they can start to adopt some of those. Sure. Well, mm. I mean, you can take that assassin route and as long as you can rid the world of one person, you can now be that person. So like lonely travelers on roads like that gets some into some creepy shit where some weird gaunt gray skinned person comes waltzing up to you, stabs you, buries you and is now you walking around the world until they can adopt something that's a little bit more long term mm -hmm. and sidle up to somebody nearby and start to get to know them and like fully and completely talented Mr. Ripley, this person, <laughs> so that you can get to know who they are and then take over their life. I think I want to play a doppelganger that uh, doesn't have the ability to change and actually just uses a disguise kit. Oh my God. <laughs> just puts on a mustache and a You're wig. just playing a person at that point. <laughs> no, I'm playing a creepy gray person <laughs> that slaps on some Just makeup. a mustache? Like Hello. a goatee? Yeah. yeah. Well, the other really important distinction about doppelgangers is that they can change their physical appearance, but they can't. Their, their clothes and their equipment that's with them doesn't change. So that could be like, I would need, if I'm going to become a person, I also need their clothes and their belongings. Yeah. If I'm really going to complete that transformation. It is a slow process to take someone's identity as a doppelganger. You can't just see somebody and flip your switch and well, totally. trick everybody into being them. Yeah. Which means that if the doppelganger is trying to take over the identity of one of the party members at your table, it's somebody that's getting to know them. Yeah. So going back to that original problem of trying to drop hints to players in a way that doesn't feel like you're spoon feeding, but also something that they'll pick up on yeah. so that they themselves can figure out that they are indeed dealing with the doppelganger, which is the entire reveal. It's the most important part. We need to figure out what are some of the clues that you can drop that your players can pick up on so they feel that they get the twist. Or at least if they don't figure it out for themselves, at least when you make that reveal, the players look back and say, oh, that all makes sense. Yeah. The clues were there. Yeah. And they were obvious enough that I picked up on them, but I didn't act. Therefore, haha, great reveal. I think one of the things that you can work with in this is that they communicate telepathically. The direct implications of that is if there's multiple of them, <laughs> things aren't looking good for you. Oh, Jesus. No, you're totally <laughs> screwed. I mean, they would figure out that they were talking to one another pretty quick. Like if you just introduced, it, let's say two groups came together and two of them were doppelgangers. If I'm reading your surface thoughts yeah. and you're a doppelganger, yeah. I'm going, huh, what's going on in their head? Something's and then different. you're going, hey, I wonder what's going on in his. Oh, <laughs> hi. Oh, hi. <laughs> we're having a conversation now. But like that doesn't stay a secret very long. Yeah. <laughs> the clues that you draw from that, though, are like what what could you drop that hints at a doppelganger reading surface thoughts? Maybe some 
similar things to like poker tells. Yeah. If the doppelganger is making excessive eye contact and anytime a dungeon master drops a hint about mannerisms, you almost know it's a clue. So it's got to be really subtle at that point. Yeah. Anytime a DM takes time to describe something, it's like, well, obviously that's something. It's important for a reason. Yeah. Because you don't spend 30 minutes just describing everything in a room. You describe the, the important bits. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe just little like a flex of the hands, something that's not evident as being a tell of reading your mind. But again, after the fact, you think, oh, maybe they were reading my mind every time they did that. Well, and the whole point of a poker tell is that it only under certain circumstances does that happen. So when they're asking, when they're being introduced, hi, what's your name? They can't make direct eye contact. Hmm. My name is so-and-so. And like, that's an immediate tell. Yeah, for sure. You know, that feels uncomfortable. Why can't you look? And if a DM describes not looking in somebody's eyes, well, all of a sudden... You're looking for the reason why. Yeah, what's going on there? Oh, okay. And then eventually they'll let it go. (laughs) But then it comes back around one more time. Yeah. I think they're a ridiculously high agility. Like if players have an understanding as to what a doppelganger is and that they in fact exist in the world and maybe they've encountered one before, they have an unrealistic dexterity. They have a dexterity score of 18 which means they're incredibly quick moving. And that's almost a potential to break character. Mm. Let's say you had kind of an older, wiser, more seasoned NPC, let's say, in their later years. If a player had maybe a hint, is like, oh, I suspect something is afoot. What if something just was knocked over? Or something dropped to the floor, and with the speed of somebody not their age, they were able to catch it or dove for something that was valuable or something like that. Yeah. There's so many ways to work that in in subtle ways. Like, if they go to the other room for something, then they're back surprisingly quickly. If the doppelganger is playing a race that doesn't have dark vision, but the doppelganger themselves does have dark vision... Like all of those inconsistencies and finding out where you can work things in that players might pick up on. Yeah. And then slowly increasing the frequency or the obviousness of that so that players really start to get it. And then, you know, whether you want them to have that encounter where they confront the doppelganger or they don't, and you're still going to reveal it later those little things can eventually come to the surface and pay off so good. Absolutely. I like your point about the inconsistencies because if you introduce the NPC that the doppelganger is impersonating as having certain characteristics like a hunch or a shaky hand or something like that, and if one of the characters, one of the more perceptive characters at some point notices that go away for a moment... Well, and your players at this point might be rolling insight checks. But we all know that doppelgangers are going to be very adept at doing this. For sure. But a really insightful or perceptive character might pick up on a particular cadence of a laugh. You know, they're dealing with an NPC that is a merchant 
who looks totally different from the bartender that they met last night. But there's a similarity in the laugh, or it's a very oh, peculiar laugh. Something that carries over. Well, and when you're not conscious of things, it's all of the subconscious things that we don't quite realize. Very similar to, uh, do you remember the Inglorious Bastards? Uh, you know, the, the, the German three versus the American three. Yeah. Like that gave them away. And with that one thing. So it's those little tiny inconsistencies or similarities between two different characters that maybe the party has encountered that might eventually help the players come to their realization. That's interesting, but it's very tricky to pull off as a DM. And I think the way to do that is when you as the dungeon master are portraying the doppelganger that's portraying somebody else you have to do those physical <laughs> characteristics i know that's getting pretty deep but i think that's the way to make it subtle because again if you mention it people think about it but if as three different npcs you do the same hand gesture <laughs> absolutely that's something they'll look back on and slap themselves for totally and yeah it might seem like it's something the dm is doing yeah but then when it all comes back around, God, that's going to pay off so good. <laughs> yeah, little things like a love of a certain food or a style of music or a tune that they hum. All of these little things can be dead giveaways for your party. Maybe even a short phrase, the way that they bring up a topic. You're talking about just like a common saying, like chickens have come home to roost. Yeah. If a couple of people say that, that's a tiny bit weird. Yeah. Not not super weird. It's an odd <laughs> phrase. They'll pick it up. Maybe they won't. Yeah. And again, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty powerful because you can just keep slipping them in and whether they get them or they don't, either way, those both are going to pay off. Yeah. Well, and this leads to kind of grander ideas of what would happen when you have multiple, like you've got one doppelganger. And they're able to impersonate one, two, three, seven different people. They like you can keep extrapolating that until you get right up to, like you said, whole families yeah. that are all just the same doppelganger. But what happens when you get multiple doppelgangers? Well, yeah, because like one doppelganger creates its own huge deep story. One doppelganger changes the world. But if you've got a world where they exist, what Further implications could you create from that? Well, you could have literally like a community that is for doppelgangers. If doppelgangers aren't terribly welcome and they have to hide and pretend to be somebody different, what would happen if you had an entire town full of doppelgangers? That town would probably grow over time as they came together. Well, if that message got out to say this is a safe place, let's say there's an outlaw who got in trouble for robbing the king. Now that outlaw comes to a town with a couple of various doppelgangers and they kind of struck a bargain. And the outlaw was actually very sympathetic to the plight of the doppelgangers. Now you have the doppelgangers who have recognized that the law is coming after somebody that has been helping them survive. I'm already imagining a town where everyone in the town looks like the outlaw (laughs) just to mess with anybody that comes to town yeah like you can't you don't know which one of us you're against 
that'd be a pretty weird place to be. So get wrecked. If their aim is to throw people off the trail, what if instead of being an actual localized community, these doppelgangers are going out in the world to plant evidence of this outlaw being everywhere? Oh, whoever's looking for this outlaw is getting 80 reports of their activity in the world. Well, that's going to spread the king's men pretty thin looking for this outlaw when they have to go to 30 different towns looking for the same person. No kidding. That's even a quest. Like maybe a party is looking for one, like maybe they've hunted down most of them and there's a few left. And along comes the party to yeah. try and keep that last couple safe. I would even imagine an, a like a vigilante squad. If, if we're talking about one outlaw being impersonated by many, you can create a legend around a vigilante that cannot be killed. Oh, heck yeah. They've been killed like how many times? Or that they just trade off those duties in, you know, there's multiple of them. There's five of the exact same person and they all showed up and surrounded the place and got justice. There's some really cool opportunities there. Yeah, the legends that a group that's impersonating one person could create about that person. That's pretty cool. Kind of like the Billy Zane film, The Phantom. What was the the core? The, well, of that? the the core of that was that it was actually a family lineage that always took up the mantle, oh. and therefore this one superhero had right. been living for like <laughs> three hundred years. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, they could accomplish way more than that with the same concept. What if you had a group of doppelgangers that was looking for a bit of that good life? Because in a lot of D and D campaigns, the party starts out not being known. They do a few quests, and all of a sudden, they've got some towns that are hailing them as heroes, things like that. So what if you got a group of doppelgangers that wants to tap into that hero lifestyle? Ooh. And your party starts to hear about themselves <laughs> taking care of stuff in other areas? Well, or just living it up. Yeah. Like, that's kind of going back to the core of having that identity stolen and what an awful, upsetting kind of feeling that is, because if you hear about deeds that you didn't do, or somebody living high off of your deeds somewhere else. Off of your reputation, really. Yeah, using and even abusing your reputation. And why wouldn't doppelgangers target that? Legendary figures, because nobody knows for sure who they are. They've heard stories about them. You don't have to worry about that kind of scrutiny. Yeah. You can just waltz around and, and enjoy yourself. Well, I think kind of good or bad, this mistaken identity or the stolen identity at the core is what makes them super cool. They're so much fun. They just have so much potential. Yeah. As you can tell, we just can't stop <laughs> coming up with concepts. But at the core of this, you really need to thoroughly think through how am I going to approach this character? How do I make them an actual character? Because just a monster as a page torn out of the monster manual, it's going to tend to fall flat. And then alternatively, how do I start to dole out hints so that my players don't feel like I cheated them? You got to put a little bit of effort into this one, but it's worth it. It's totally worth it. So we hope that was helpful. Please throw your ideas at us because we're sure 
that you've got some pretty cool ideas. If any of these sparked an idea that you end up using your games, tell us about it. We would love to hear how you were able to implement any of this. So you can share that stuff with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and Reddit. Our username is Hook and Chance, pretty much everywhere. You can also thank Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. Go and check out their stuff. They're putting out way more cool soundscapes. And there's a few more. If you're playing Descent into Avernus right now, there is a sound pad of just hellscape sounds. (laughs) Or if you need a white noise machine going to sleep, there's hellscape sounds. (laughs) Does that put you to bed? Oh, yeah. (laughs) The screams and the bubbles. (laughs) Well, I didn't know that's what tabletop audio is for, but sure. (laughs) A lot of people do it. All right. Haunted house sounds. (laughs) Well, thanks for listening Listening and and play play great great games. games. Are you copying me again? That's all you've wanted this whole time. You shit brick. (laughs) You're not a doppelganger.